Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the six-time Pro Bowler, Joe Staley. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a 49er great. He was a six-time Pro Bowler and a three-time All-Pro. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Staley. Joe, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, Brett, I appreciate you having me on. Um, Now let's get into it. All right, right out of the gate. Yeah, let's do it. You know how... Box you know breaks. how linemen like to roll. You I, know how I, linemen like to roll. I, I do. I do. <laughs> Box breaks. I know nothing about it. I heard you're into them. Yeah. E- edu- um, educate me. Educate me. I got into, so when you say box breaks, I got into sports cards uh, when I was, you know, six years old. It was what I spent all of my uh, allowance, all my, you know, one and $2 bills for doing my chores growing up, uh, spent them on sports cards. And it was just something that I just stayed with all the way through, you know, probably like junior high, um, kind of grow out of them. And then when I got to the NFL, uh, kind of just got back into it. Cause I was just looking for something kind of nostalgic to just have as a hobby, uh, away from the sport. And I've always been diehard fanatic about not just football, but baseball, basketball, you know, any sport, any competitive outlet I get my hands on. Um, so I just kind of got back into, into collecting sports cards when I was a rookie in like 2007 and eight, and, uh, just kind of built a collection up from there. Uh, it's, it's really taken off the last, you know, couple of years. Um, and it's changed a lot than from what it was, you know, it was just kind of like a hobby that I like to do in my spare time, collect cards, memorabilia, all that stuff. But, um, it's still a lot of fun for me, but you know, these, these prices now are getting a little bit outrageous. So, um, I'm not nearly as into it as I, as I used to be. It is. And I've got some, you know, I never got into it. I was the kid, you know, growing up in the, when I was a little kid in the seventies, you know, I, I was the one with the baseball cards in my spokes and they're probably worth a lot of money now, but I got some buddies that do do it and it is lucrative. Uh, my time, I think it, cause I started my first, my rookie year was 92. And from what they tell me, they said during my time of the nineties, they, they manufactured so many cards Mm-hmm. Of us, you know, and I, and I see that now. I mean, I've I've seen a thousand cards of myself. They said nowadays they're just doing more specialized, and I'm seeing you know ridiculous numbers. I saw a Mike Trout card, uh, three million bucks. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, what is that? One of one or something? Yeah. So that one was a super fractor from his rookie year. I mean, there's like a whole entire subsets and parallels and everything. Now it's all just trying to create some kind of rarity and scarcity of a of a certain card because. You know, you look back at the card industry back in the 90s, like you said, it was oversaturated, overmanufactured um, because everybody was looking back at, you know, oh, well, these these cards from the 50s and 60s, are, they're worth money now. So let's just make a bunch of cards and they will be worth money. And they don't understand how the actual hobby works and you know, some that's being collectible. Um, but they, but, you know, I've never looked at sports cards and I still don't to this day as something that's like a business, just a hobby. Um, you know, I've. I've sold two cards in my whole life and they're probably the two most regretted sales I've ever made um, in my life. So I sold two Luka Doncic rookie cards before it really actually took off. And uh, 
sold them for what I thought was a good, good amount of money at the time. And, um, looking back on it now, uh, not a good, not a good time to sell. So. Not, a, not, a, not a good move. I mean, I, it's like anything else. I get to the dance late. My kids are telling me I got a kid, uh, graduated a few years ago. And he's been taught dad, you know, you, you got any of that crypto? And I said, no, I, I don't even know anything about crypto. So he's kind of been educating me for the last year on crypto. And I feel like, well, uh, all the money was made like in 2011 and, and yeah. it's been recent. He's like, way too yeah. late to the party now. Right. Right. So, you know, you, the young guys, they, they always get to the party early, but, but he's still into the crypto and he's still got some coins like dad. No, it's going to be a stalemate and all these coins are going to go away, but a few of them are going to remain. And he's educated me a little bit, but I, I'm not that deep into it, but uh, it's interesting. Like you said, it's a hobby for you. It gives me something to look at and kind of mm-hmm. research. Anyway, uh, Rockford, Michigan, you grew up. Yes. Uh, what's a young Joe Staley like? Um, well, I have two younger sisters. Um, dad was a mailman. Mom was a teacher. Uh, grew up, you know, outside of Grand Rapids in a small town called Rockford. And uh, from the day, you know, I can remember, um, I was just obsessed with sports and grew up just eating, breathing, sleeping, anything sports related. It was all seasonal. And, you know, you grow up in the Midwest, your footballs are you know, the football's in the fall, basketball's in the winter, baseball's in the spring and summer. You just kind of go around that little cycle and just cycle through your sports. Um, I was a, I was an athletic kid, but not um, anything special. You know, I just love being, it was kind of a social thing for me. All my friends were playing sports and kind of caught the bug early just, and I think that's really one of the things that helped me on in my career is I got you know, better and better was that I always had, had, had a deep passion for what I was doing. And, um, you know, that's not something that came from me just being good at something immediately is I had to put a ton of work into it. Um, so really like my whole entire childhood just kind of revolved around playing as many sports as I could being with my friends and being outside. And, um, you know, I think having the two younger sisters too, I didn't have that, um, you know, that family kind of dynamic where I was out there playing with my brothers, it was all just, uh, my social circle was, you know, revolved around all my friends that were playing similar sports as I did. And so we all got really close and I was second, third string at everything I did in high school until all of a sudden my junior year, it was like my body decided that they were going to figure out what, uh, what it was to, to be balanced and to not be gumpy and fall over your feet all the time. And uh, I kind of grew into my body in my junior, senior year and had one scholarship offer to go play football at Central Michigan. And I took, uh, I took it. It's interesting. You said you were sports, sports crazy. You liked them all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I've had some guys on recently, Anthony Munoz and, and he he started off by Booney. I was a freaking baseball player. That's all I ever wanted to do. Baseball. He said the way I grew, he said, I kind of grew out of that. And he played baseball through uh, through college. Jack Del Rio. Same thing. He, he, he said his first love was baseball. You know, and we all go, to be honest with you, you know, I'm 510 on a good day and I loved hoops. And to, mm-hmm. to, to the point where I, you know, I'd finish at school and I'd go home at night and I'd go to the local, you know, rec center and I'd get the pickup games with the with the old men coming home from work. And I just loved it. I looked in the mirror one day and said, well, this probably is not going to be my ticket. And then, you know, as I got through through the, my middle years of high school started started, uh, you know, 
singling in on just baseball, but man, I loved hoops growing up. It's just, it, it wasn't conducive. Like I said, there was going to be, that wasn't going to be a career for me. Did, was it always football for you or did you have something else that you were uh, a little more passionate or drawn towards? Yeah. I mean, I hate to say I sound like a broken record from your past guests, but I was baseball as well. I mean, that was my, my mom tells this story. It's one of her favorite stories. I was like 10 years old and I had just gotten done striking out like two or three times in our little league game. And I come back in our car and, and she's kind of like, you know, how do you feel? And she goes, well, mom, you know what, when I make it to the major leagues, I just don't think I'm going to be one of the more well-known ones. But it was like I was still going to be there. It was still a goal for me to be a professional athlete in my my 10-year-old mind. But I wasn't going to be uh, one of the maybe more popular ones. But I had the same story. I just kind of, you know, like I said, it was a sports obsessed, loved the grind, loved working. Every moment that I had free from school was just on some kind of field or court. Um, but wasn't that great um, at it. And so I ended up getting cut from baseball when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, never really, never went out for the basketball team. Uh, never played that in high school, but I was always playing pickup games and everything. Um, but then once I got, once I got cut in baseball, my sophomore year, I then needed some time to fill up. And so I joined the track team and I did the sprints. Cause you know, at this time in high school, I was six foot five, I was 205 pounds. It was, um, I was actually a sprinter. So, that was very beneficial for my football career because I kind of was growing in my body at the same time, getting some athleticism, being able to understand how to, how to run fast, how to move, uh, kind of figure it out, everything. So then from there, I just kind of developed. But I still had that, I don't know, that mentality once I went to college of, you know, you have to work for everything. You're not just naturally gifted at this. You have to develop your skills every single day. And I always fell back when I kind of zeroed in on football as being my sport was that same kind of mindset. I'm doing this because I am passionate about what I'm doing. And I understand that there's a ton of hard work that goes in behind the scenes to, you know, make it a hopefully a career, but if not, just to make it the best college experience I could. Yeah. When I was looking, looking at your, your high school, you know, Rockford high, uh, and you, and you were a track and field. And immediately I think, Oh, Joe Staley, big, strapping lineman you know what's he throwing the discus and and then i started reading on and i'm like no he's a sprinter like yeah. fast fastest fast as 100 meters ever you don't see that uh from from uh from lineman so that was really interesting i i really was thinking he's throwing the discus or he's doing something else but you're you're in the uh you're in the relays and, and yeah. you're in the 100 meters and uh yeah, I, I could imagine that's that that can do nothing but positive things for you on on an athletic court, no matter what it is, baseball, football, basketball. So that was that was kind of your uh, high school, high school football. Mm -hmm. Were you always a lineman? No. So when I played high school football, I was actually a receiver um, and then got moved my junior year to tight end, um, played tight end my junior year, got recruited as a tight end. But then we went back to because we had a. We had a really good, you know, kind of receiving course. Our offense kind of changed my senior year. And so I got actually moved back to more of a wide receiver, tight end, and um, then got recruited to play tight end at Central Michigan. I actually had to decide between um, playing football and track. Uh, as you bring up the sprinting, I was actually recruited pretty heavily from a lot of the MAC schools, um, you know, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, Toledo, like all those smaller schools in division one to be a two and 400 meter dash runner. 
Um, so, and I actually really, really enjoyed track and the individual aspect of it and the competitive side of that as well. So at the end of the day though, I mean, football wasn't going to be a track that I think I could have developed more and there was more of a future in that for me, but I never went to college thinking that this is going to be my career. You know, I honestly, and I say that again, as it's like, had such a passion of just competing in something and it was an opportunity for me to go to school for free, gave me a full scholarship. And I was just blown away. I mean, I, I never had visited central Michigan, knew nothing about the program. I was just kind of blown away. And I was really naive to the whole recruiting process at that time. And I called the head coach and he's like, Hey, we're going to offer you a scholarship. And so I got off the phone, told my dad, I'm like, Hey, I got a scholarship. And he goes, well, what does that mean? And I was like, well, I don't know. Let me call him back. So I get back on the phone with him and I'm like, well, what does that mean? Is that like, you're going to pay for my room and board or what, is it like a partial scholarship or you're going to pay for my book? Like, what is that? And he goes, oh no, full, you don't have to pay anything. So I was like, all right, sounds good. I'm in. Yeah. Say, Hey dad, that means you don't have to whip out. I, I love, you know what? I've got four kids. I haven't had that, that uh, conversation yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting sure it was. For, I'm waiting for him to say, dad, yeah. And it's free. Never had. Yeah, that was one of the things too. I mean, my dad, you know, you know blue collar family and dad's a mailman, mom teacher. And so it was like, you know, I think definitely for them it was a huge uh, weight off their shoulders, you know, thinking about how we're going to pay for our kids now, now to go to go to school. So it was great. Central Michigan University is uh, as a freshman, you're a tight end and uh, you, you played in 11 games. And then your sophomore year, you make another move. So you go from wide receiver to tight end. Now you're going from tight end to, to offensive lineman. Um, and doing my, doing my due diligence, you put on 80 pounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a big boy. That's why I, I would sit here, you know, even during my playing days, I'd sit there, I'd watch you guys on Sunday. And I'd see you big boys on the line. And I'm thinking, that guy's really fast. That, a man that big that can run as fast as me, I, I don't want to be chased by him. <laughs> but so, so you go, you make the, the, uh, adjustment. Are, are you, mm -hmm. are you excited about it? Or are you thinking that, you know, are, are you enjoying being a tight end? No, when I was first told I was going to be moved, uh, I was really upset about it. Cause I had, I had started, um, my true freshman year and I had gained weight, um, going into my sophomore year, thinking that I was going to be just, you know, the number one, cause I was splitting time with the other guy. And so I got back on campus. I was about 240 pounds and worked really hard about putting on muscle and, you know, keeping all the fat off and keeping my speed up. And I was really excited too, because we had Brian Kelly that just came in our you know original coach that I was there with my freshman year, Mike DeBoard had gotten fired. And so they hired Brian Kelly to come in. I knew him from his time at Grand Valley state, uh, the division two college that was there outside of Grand Rapids where I grew up. So I knew that my potential as a tight end in his offense is going to be awesome. And uh, so we get there and we, I must've not impressed him because we worked out for probably a week on our spring practices. And then he calls me in their office and says, Hey, we're going to move you to right tackle. We don't have a right tackle right now. So you're going to be guaranteed our starter, just gain as much weight as you can. And, um, I didn't understand it because obviously, I mean, I was 240, 245 pounds at that time. And was like, I'm just going to get my butt kicked the whole entire time. And so then I thought about transferring, was going to transfer colleges, but 
you know, at the end of the day, I came down to, I made a commitment to them. Um, this is, this is what they think is best for me and, uh, best for the team Then I'm going to try to do everything I can. So, um, they were giving my dad these stories too, because my dad was kind of upset about it, about, Hey, you know, if he just fulfills his potential, he can be a, he's going to be a first round pick. And once I heard that, I honestly thought that they were only saying that to appease me. So it made me more upset because I never saw that in my future, especially paying offensive line. You know, I didn't really understand it. So, but then I finally did it, go to spring ball. And after my first practice, I came up to our offensive line coach and was just like, you know, excuse my friends, like I effing love this and uh, fell in love with playing offensive line um, from that day on. And just did everything I could to gain weight, but, you know, in a healthy way, uh, keep my speed and my athleticism. And, you know, I had a really good strength coach that was there that really impacted my, my career for, you know, the positive. This is a, this is a thing that, that I'm always curious about too, when it comes to the NFL. Now this year, um, in baseball, I think it was the second time they did it. The MLB channel asked me to come down and kind of, uh, I did some, I did a few, few bits for, uh, for the channel and they have a combine, you know, it's always, there's always been a combine in the NFL and it's kind of, it's a big deal. And it's, uh, you know, it's speed and, and jumps and verticals and all that and, and meetings and, and mental, <laughs> mental meetings to see what mm-hmm. kind of guy you are. Baseball has never really been about that. They'll have some meetings with you, uh, maybe an eye test. But other than that, there's been no combine. It was interesting to me for the first time seeing these young kids uh, and being on the field with them and see what they're going through. Still isn't at the level that that the NFL does. But uh, going in your senior year, 2007, you go to the East West Shrine game, which is a big deal. And also in baseball, we don't have this. So I'm always interested is we don't have a pro day. So, you know, our pro day is hopefully you caught me last week. You know, I hit two home runs in that game. That's my pro day. But but take the take the audience through what that's like as a senior in, in college, East West Shrine. That I know that's a big deal. And then uh, pro day. What's what goes on? Is there is it? I don't know. Yeah, the whole process is actually pretty uh, intense because you go right from your college season. And then while you're during your senior your junior year, whenever anybody's coming out, you're getting recruited by these agents and these agents are kind of coming out and they're trying to recruit you to sign with their sign with their company. And then right when the season's done, you go to what other facility that they want to send you to. So for example, I went to this place called the Plex down in Stafford, Texas, right outside of Houston. And you spend the next three months there just getting a crash course in NFL training lifestyle. You're working out twice a day, trying to improve your vertical jump, bench press. You're, you know, it's very, it's very combine driven training. It's not necessarily specific NFL training. You're just trying to get maybe a 10th of a second faster on your 40, trying to pump out maybe one or two more reps than you were previously on your 225 pound bench test. And then you go to, uh, you know, your all-star game. And I actually, so I was originally going to be going to uh, the East West Shrine game, but I ended up going to uh, the senior bowl, which is the the main showcase for the upcoming NFL talent that's down in Mobile, Alabama. And that was, uh, I mean, everything, just that whole entire process is a whirlwind because you're kind of getting coached up on what to say and 
and how to behave in these situations. And it was overwhelming for me as a kid from central Michigan, I never had to deal with that. And also was never a big time recruit. So I was never used to that attention. So I kind of went into that thing just saying, I'm going to be myself. That's what's most comfortable for me being myself in these moments show, you know, cause I didn't have to fake it. I was already, like I said, passionate about what I did. And that's kind of what drove me all the way through college. And I was going to do the same thing when I took out to the NFL. So all that stuff was just, I didn't have any stress going in cause just be myself and rely on all the work that I've already done and all the preparation I had put into this already. And went to the senior bowl and thought it performed really well. And then, um, you know, left that ended up going back to Texas training for the combine and pulling my hamstring right before the combine. Uh, so Denver never got to run there, but at all the meetings, all the psychological tests, um, I mean, for example, I remember the, they're now the commanders, but, um, at the time they were Redskins and they, uh, put me through, I think it was like a seven hour psychological evaluation, answering questions, um, anything that you could ever think of personality tests. And that's the stuff that, that got tedious. And I think they do it on purpose just to try to see who can handle it, who can keep their brain on for that long of a time and, and still be eager to learn and, and not get bored with the process. But and then from there, you go to uh, what's a pro day and your pro day is just held on campus and because I didn't run at the combine. That was the only place that I was going to be able to uh, perform. And really all that is, is just you showing, showcasing your athleticism. So you're running your forties, your vertical jumps, bench press tests, uh, your agility drills. And then you do a bunch of position work for all the, uh, all the coaches, scouts, journal managers, decision makers that are there. And it seems to me, you know, throughout this whole process, you've been pretty, pretty humbled by, you know, not even think, well, I'm not going to be an NFL player. It started off that way. Then your coach telling pops that, Mm -hmm. Hey, Hey, he stays the program. You know, he's got a chance to be a first round pick and you think they're just giving him lip service. It's 2007. It's draft day. And it's about to become a reality. Are are you aware of that? Are you thinking now, wow, maybe what he was telling my dad was true. And you know, I I was full of it back then, but um, what do you think in draft day? I mean, you end up being the 28th overall first round pick, just like the coach told your dad. And were you, I I know there was a lot of, there was some wheeling and dealing done by the 49ers, that particular Mm -hmm. draft. Were you aware of that? Um, How much do you know on draft day? Are are you pretty sure? Or or do you have to wait until you get that call? Uh, You're not a hundred percent sure on what's going to happen. Yeah. You have a pretty good idea going into draft day just because, and I would say my senior year, I definitely was aware that I was going to be, you know, a higher higher level draft pick just because of the agents that you're getting calls from. And then every single day at practice, you're having five, six, seven different scouts that are just there to watch you. Um, so it was really like a heightened sense of awareness that, all right, this is going to be my future. If I just, you know, don't get injured, put everything I have to it, perform well. And so on draft day, um, agent at the time was having conversations with the Ravens and he was assured, you know, they lie all the time in these situations, but he was assured that if I was there at 29, that I was going to be their pick. And um, I also knew that that was pretty much guaranteed to be the third tackle um, off the board that year. So there were two other guys. It was Joe Thomas. He went third overall. And then there was Levi Brown who went fifth overall to the Cardinals. And so I knew anywhere from that pick on, I was going to be potentially picked. And we got down to the 
27th, 28th pick. And I was like, all right, these next two teams don't need a tackle. So I'm going to be going to Baltimore. And um, so at 28, I get a phone call from the Niners and they say, so-and-so from the Niners, um, we're going to take you with our next pick. And I was like, well, I'm going to be gone, sir. Um, I was told I'm going to get picked by the Ravens. They're like, well, watch your TV. We just traded up to, to select you. So welcome to the team. And that's how it started my journey with them. That's pretty cool. And you know that you, what you just said, uh, you know, you knew that they didn't need alignment. That's, that's the difference between baseball and football. Cause I, I still talk to, to kids, young kids today, you know, on draft day, and what do you think? And you listen to parents. Well, you know, for example, um, it could be anything. Oh, Mike Trout's the center fielder for the Angels. Well, that's not, yeah. you know, baseball. That's not how they pick. If you're the best player available and you're a center fielder and Mike Trout is your center, it doesn't matter. The Angels are still going to take you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just because of the minor league process and who knows who's going to be where, when. But it is different in football because it's immediate. College is kind of your minor league. So when you're a first round pick, you're in most situations you're expected to be on the field playing for whoever picks you that next year. So it is, it is different. It is different because I always laugh at the baseball parents. Oh, well, you know, Derek Jeter plays short for the Yankees. Yeah, we know that, but your son's the best shortstop on the board and pretty much in baseball, the best player is always the shortstop. Anyway, don't worry about Derek Jeter. If he's what we think, if we, he's what we think he's going to be, he's going to be in the big league somewhere and it doesn't matter where he is. So that's, that's and also that's, so much more wheeling and dealing too in the baseball side than there is in football. Right. And, and a kid coming out of, of, of high school, you know, baseball wise, except for with the Bryce Harpers of the world, the Mike Trouts that get to the big leagues when they're 19. That's so rare. Um, from 18, you, you, you pretty much have five years, five years. They expect you to, to be breaking into the big leagues as a first round pick. So you got five. Who knows? Things change so much. Like you said, there's so much wheeling and dealing. Things change so much that it really doesn't matter on draft day. Uh, who's who's at your position with the big club? You know, time will tell. Things will maneuver around. Um, whereas football, it's like I said, it is immediate. Even college baseball, you, you come out as a first round pick. Yeah, they expect you to be in the big leagues in a couple of years, but it's never immediate. You know, there's rare cases where guys go straight to the big leagues, but that's, you know, that's one in a million. So, yeah, definitely different, but but always interesting to me being on the other side of the ledger. Uh, you get to San Fran, uh, storied franchise. Awesome. And uh, you start off as the right tackle. That's going to change. You're going to go to left tackle a year later. And I remember asking this question that because me just thinking about questions to ask. It's like, OK, what if. You're the left tackle. You're the man. You're protecting the blind side. But it goes from Joe Montana to Steve Young. Do you move to right tackle or do you stay at left tackle? Yeah, in that situation, you would just stay at the left side. Um, Because honestly, like everybody thinks too, with offensive line, it's very easy to shift over. Um, Just, just, you know, just flip your footwork. But, you know, you think about one of the hardest years that I had was my between my sophomore year in college in my junior year in college, because I went from right tackle to left tackle. And then also again, in the NFL, my right played right tackle, my rookie year. And then I played left tackle my second year um, because you're so ingrained with the body positions and the movements and the, um, you know, we used to call them stances and starts and everything is, is, you know, right side dominant, left side dominant, you know, it's a 
very technical position and to be at that level in the NFL, it takes a lot of work and a lot of reps. And it's not just something that's very easy for guys just to flip it over. Um, so typically in that case, they're not going to move it over because, you know, they go from a right-handed quarterback to a left-handed quarterback. What was the biggest adjustment for you college to pro speed? Um, honestly, it was, I went in thinking that it was going to be so much more physical and so much more faster. Um, I would say the biggest adjustment for me was how fast the mental processing has to happen. Um, and, and it's because of maybe it's because of the speed and the physicality, you don't have time to think out there, everything and the reactions just have to be immediate. But when you're in college, especially at the level, you know, the max schools or smaller schools, you're, I, we weren't seeing complex defenses. You know, you might get one or two very easy blitzes to pick up a game. Um, there's not a lot of adjustments. It's kind of just us running our offense. Now, when you get to the NFL, that was the number one thing. I mean, my head was spinning for that first training camp offseason. I really didn't even feel like I got my feet underneath me until maybe like halfway through the year where I was seeing the game a little bit slower. I was able to process and anticipate what the defense was trying to do and how this defensive player that I'm going to be blocking, how he's supposed to react and then taking that and piecing it together, what we're doing on offense and the picture that he's seeing and just everything that goes into a successful play. Um, that was the hardest challenge for me was just slowing the game down mentally. So then I could use my athleticism and my physical tools and also the technique um, to perform the best I could physically. Anyone take you under their wing when you were a rookie? Oh, so many guys. Um, I mean, the two that had the huge, huge impact in my, in my career. You know, I played one year with Bryant Young and, um, you know, he just got inducted in the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. He was impactful to me because I saw a guy that was in year 14 working like he was a practice squad guy trying to make the squad for the first time. And then also understanding what true leadership was. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time like one-on-one, -on -one, but it was more from a distance of just, this is a true professional. Um, when he speaks, he not only, you know, speaks, um, you know, truth, but he also, he, he exhibits that in everything he does. It's not just false words. And then I just think the guy that probably had the most impact um, early on and that I spent the most time with was Frank Gore. Um, just because of the same kind of attributes. Um, he was the first guy out in practice field every single day. Um, just the consistency at what he did when he was doing his job. And, um, you know, those were the two guys that I definitely learned the most from. And then everybody else, you know, especially in the offensive line room, it was kind of like a competitive brotherhood where we were all close, but we were all competing with each other for, you know, those five spots. So, I was close to all of them, but I don't think they were sharing any secrets with me about how to better myself. <laughs> uh, 2011, uh, you're an all pro, you're a pro bowler for the first time. Uh, you'll be a pro bowler the next five years. Uh, we get to 2012 Super Bowl. I think it was 47. Um, and I always like to hear uh, you guys and, and your experience with that first Super Bowl. You end up going to two in your career, but that first one, 
Uh, you know, I got to go to a World Series and, and once again, baseball's different. It's a seven game series, Super Bowl. That's a big deal. That's a two week lead up the world. You know, uh, people that aren't even sports fans or they're having Super Bowl parties. It's just a different mm-hmm. it's just different. Just what it's what it's like. Um, what was that first one like for you? Well, the first one went absolutely perfectly. I mean, besides we didn't win the game, but uh, I mean, the the week building up to it, it was, you know, like you said, I was just kind of hitting the prime of my career. Uh, I felt very confident going into that week. Uh, we all had a great, you know, weeks of practice leading up, felt incredibly prepared, loved the game plan. Um, and so, you know, I, the whole week I didn't have any kind of, you know, the sleepless nights or, you know, the anxiety that you have and that I was expecting myself to have uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. You're so busy doing extra media stuff and you got family and friends that are in town. So a lot of your time's kind of occupied where you don't have a lot of moments to yourself to just kind of realize what's going on. And then I remember, you know, I used to have a routine when I played, um, when I played the game. I would always go out at a certain at a certain time before kickoff. I'd do it was like a 30 minute warm up that I kind of did on my own before we went out with the team warm up. And I remember doing that same routine that I've done for the you know previous six seasons and going on the field and immediately being hit by how different the pregame environment was. And that was the moment where I was like, holy hell. I'm playing in a Super Bowl and there's about to be half a billion people watching this around the world. And oh man, I'm an offensive lineman. So everybody loves to hate us. And if I mess up and if I give up a sack, oh my God, (laughs) all of a sudden, like all these thoughts like flooded me. And then I, I went back to kind of that mentality I talked about earlier was like when I was coming out of college, you know, and they're trying to prep me for all these different things. And this is how you say, and this is what you do. And, and for me, I was like, immediately went back to the locker room and I was like, this is something I prepared for, for the last six years. You know, I put in all this work and I'm going to give my best effort out on the field and whatever happens, happens. And ended up playing probably one of my best games personally that I played in my career, that game. Um, you know, we came up short. That was a wild game though, man. Just looking, I haven't thought about it in a while, but looking back, the lights going off, um, you know, we were able to come back in the second half to make it a game. And then unfortunately, you know, we, had a couple uh, pass plays that we didn't complete and uh, ended up coming up on the losing edge. But, you know, it was an incredibly emotional uh, game. And, um, you know, it was one of those games where I was actually just like physically and mentally spent when it was done. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now I think looking back on like, you know, not only that, but second Super Bowls, you know, those are the big games you play in. Um, you know, I think when I was playing football, I look back on those losses as really haunting. Um, but now being a couple years out of the game of football, you look back at them, you know, obviously you'd love to win, but you look, I kind of look back at them finally just to say that I was at the pinnacle of sport. You know, I was playing in the NFL and I was playing in a Super Bowl and I was starting and I was having a direct impact on a game in the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's pretty cool to tell my kids and my grandkids someday. Yeah, that's, that's, I had Andre Reed on at Thurman Thomas and, you know, they're kind of known for that, oh, yeah. bill, that bills team that lost four in a row. And I remember asking him and the answer was, you know, the more I get away from the game, I wouldn't trade it for the world. A lot of, there's not too many people can say they went to four Super Bowls in a row. Of course we want to win them, but man, it's, you just brought back memories for me when you're talking about doing your routine and it's something as athletes, 
we just do it. We're programmed. You mm-hmm. on Sunday, you had your routine, what you did. I baseball, we do it every day. But I, at, I know at certain times of the day, I go to the cage. Certain times, okay, now I walk down to the field. Now I, get, uh, now I do my stretching before the national anthem. And I remember uh, in 1999, I went to the World Series. It was against the Yankees. And it didn't hit me game one or game two. They were at home. But game three, and I'd played Yankee Stadium a decent amount of times, but I remember going out to the line 15 minutes before the first pitch and just doing my, you know, a couple sprints, a few stretches, and I got overwhelmed. And I'd never been overwhelmed other than maybe the first day, you know, I got called up to the big leagues. Other than that, I had never been overwhelmed, but something came over me and I started looking around Yankee Stadium. It was old Yankee Stadium. And there was just a buzz and you knew you were somewhere special. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the first thing went through my mind is I should go have a quick beer and settle down. And I had to leave the field. I left the field because I'm like, this is kind of, oh, I got to settle down. First pitch is in, yeah. in 15 minutes and I'm hitting second. And uh, but, it, you know, those are things you can look back on. They're really cool memories. But but something that doesn't come up. And when you when you told me your first Super Bowl, you know, it was just something you do every week and it's not a big deal. This is how you prepare for the game. But this particular day, you were kind of overwhelmed with, wow, this is this is not just a normal Sunday. This is the big one. Yeah, that was one of the things. I mean, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, it was like you know, feeling of over being overwhelmed. But it's also like that incredible adrenaline rush that hits you all of a sudden, you know, I think we both had the you know, same experience of just like, this is big, you know, this is uh, something that I've been watching since I was a kid. And, you know, there's games that you watch, like this is an NFL game, but it's week six and, you know, you're going to be next one. But this one is like the Super Bowl. This is the one that matters the most. This is what my legacy of a, as an athlete is going to be based off of my wins or losses here in these, in these moments, in these games. And, I think for me, you know, being a lineman, you know, you're used to being kind of behind the scenes and and doing the the grunt work for all the guys around you and being a team first guy. But, you know, I think for me, that adrenaline rush came from wanting to perform my best so my teammates could have the glory that they so, you know, rightly deserve. Like I want, I remember going in that game, wanting to make sure that Frank Gore rush for 150 yards and that we didn't give up a sack. So, you know, Colin Kaepernick could, you know, throw three touchdowns. And it was a, it was a moment of of heightened awareness of what I was doing personally to have our, our team's goals to come, you know, to the surface. Thing I I love about sports in general. um, And, you know, obviously baseball is my focus, but I look at teams like uh, the Yankees. I look at teams like the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a real uh, distinct alumni. They, they really embrace the ex-players. I think the 49ers to some degree do that. I mean, when you look over at any time, a Montana or a, or a Ronnie Lott or a Jerry Rice or, or a Young could be on mm-hmm. the sidelines. For you being a young player, especially when you first get to the Niners, you know, you grew up and you know all about these guys. Now, all of a sudden, they're at your games all the time. I don't know. I go to Yankee Stadium. I think it's cool seeing Reggie Jackson on the field. I, uh, I think it's cool just seeing the old players. It's almost like it's a generational thing. So grandpa can take his son to the game who has and, and his grandson. And if there's certain guys on the field at all times, it's like they all have a story from their from their time. Yeah, it was one of the things that was so you know, beneficial to my career because the Niners, like you said, is storied franchise. And a lot of those guys, you know, played in the eighties and nineties and so many 
people in the area and the fan base, they all remember, you know, what it was like to watch Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, you know, Brent Jones, even the linemen like Jesse Sapolo and Harris Barton, Steve Wallace, you know, all these guys that I remember watching growing up playing football, watching football on TV. And now I'm sitting there getting to learn from them. You know, remember the first time I met Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Steve Young and just being almost like a little kid again. But here I am in the same jersey that they used to wear, going through the same, you know, training facilities and same locker room and get to play in candlestick and the same memories that they've had. And there's definitely a fraternity and a camaraderie that's built from that, you know, and I think now that I'm out of the game, you know, it's important for me to pass that on as well. And I think a lot of guys in the Niners do that right. Um, you know, they definitely celebrate a lot of the guys that have played and had a lot of success for their franchise and they, and they welcome us back with open arms. You know, I was just actually up there last week and just got to go to camp for a couple of days and, you know, I had full access to everything. It was like I had never left. And I think, um, you know, the Niners, it's really special for them to do that for their old players because there's not only is it good for the fans and, you know, people to see, you know, old teammates and, and guys that you used to work with, but it's also important for the guys that are now in those jerseys to understand where that franchise came from, you know, what it was built on, you know, the ex-players, the ex-personnel guys, the ex-coaches, um, and then you can learn and carry that on in their own careers. I remember being a couple years out of the game and going back and I felt like, wow, I'm still a player, but, but I'm not is you're still in that stage where you're just, you're, you're just on the field a few years ago. Is it weird for you? <laughs> because believe me in about 10 or 15 years, you'll know that you're an ex player when you walk there. That's how I feel now. But is it a little strange for you coming back? Like, wow, I was just here. I was just suiting up with these guys. It was weird for me. Um, the first year, the first year, I think, you know, it was a COVID year. So I think that kind of, maybe alleviated some of that. Um, you know, they were going through their own things and all my ex you know, teammates were all telling me like, you retired at the right time. This is absolutely miserable to go through during this season. We don't have any fans. And so it was different. And I think maybe that helped me not miss it as much. Um, and then I lost a bunch of weight when I was done with football. And so I would go back after that first year, you know, I retired, I was about 310 pounds. And after that first year, I was down to about 250 and so I went back knowing that I could not do what I did before. You know, I just, I didn't have the weight for it. I didn't have the muscle structure. Like it wasn't like a thing where I was like, Hey, you could, you could give it a chance to a go again. You know, maybe after a year, you've, your body's kind of calmed down. You can do it again. That was never an issue for me. So, um, and now going into this season, I'm back firmly into where I was when I was a kid, just a passionate fan and still have a lot of relationships and great relationships with people in the organization. And I like going back for that, but I don't, I don't need to fulfill some kind of competitive juice to get back on the, on the field. <laughs> 2019, you go to your second Super Bowl. Um, you play in the chiefs different second time around. Do you think of the first time? All right, it's going to be different this time. We're going to win. You end chiefs end up beating you. But yeah, not too many people get to go to the Super Bowl twice. Any different for you? It was night and day for me, uh, the first and second one, just because of what I was going through personally. I had, um, you know, the first one, I was kind of hitting the pinnacle of my career, just about to hit, you know, the prime years of my you know, time in the NFL. And then I was dealing with a ton of injuries uh, my last season. 
you know, that, that last year going into the Super Bowl and I broke my leg, was out for like eight weeks and I was dealing with a finger injury. Then I had hurt my back really bad. And I was kind of grinding through everything because I knew how special that team was. And I knew that we were going to get to the playoffs and we were going to make a nice long run. So I wasn't going to get any kind of MRIs. I wasn't going to get any kind of thing done. I just wanted to play and be available and be on the field. So leading up to the Super Bowl, I um, end up dealing with this really bad neck injury in the playoffs and kind of playing through and not letting anybody know uh, what I was kind of going through. But it kind of came to a head when we were getting ready for that final game. And I end up, you know, finding out later, I end up having to retire because of this neck injury that I had. But um, we get to Miami and something's going on with my nerves in my neck. I'm getting shooting pains all the time down on my fingers, not able to sleep. Um, and then I'm getting anxiety about not being able to sleep and my neck feeling the way it is, but I'm still not telling anybody because I want to continue. I want to play in the Super Bowl. Um, so I'll, long story short, I end up for that week leading up to the Super Bowl slept probably five combined hours in seven days. And get to the Super Bowl and I'm like, my first thoughts are not just, Hey, I'm going to be on, this is a Super Bowl. I was like, how am I going to be able to play a game? Um, my body is already physically exhausted. Um, and then I knew in that moment that was probably gonna be my last game. And then I wasn't going to be able to play football after that. So it was a really emotional game, kind of just revert back to muscle memory and something I've done for the last 20 years to kind of get through it. But definitely wasn't the, one of the better games I've played personally. And, you know, the game, Still, we had the game kind of in hand until they make their crazy run in the fourth quarter. And and then after the game, I'm end up having to go in the locker room. I'm like balling my eyes out because I know it's my last game that I played in the NFL and I'm having to retire because of an injury. And they're stitching up my thumb because I had a, like a compound dislocation where my sometime in the third quarter, like my uh, bone popped out in my thumb. So they're putting that back and they're stitching that back up. And they think that I'm crying because of that. And I'm looking, I'm like, no, I'm done with football. Like, this is the last game I'm ever going to play. I'm not going to be able to play after that. And um, yeah, so very different, you know, looking back on it. I wish, uh, you know, emotionally, maybe physically too, ended a little bit better, but, you know, still fun. And I think looking back at it now, a couple of years removed, it was amazing how many challenges I kind of went through personally that week and was able to overcome. So you look back on that now with a lot of strength. Retired after that season. Uh, you know, I mentioned at the top, all pro three times, pro bowler six times. Uh, awesome career. Uh, he played for several guys, Mike Nolan, Singletary, Harbaugh, Shanahan. Uh, and Chip Kelly and Jim Tomasulo in there too. Thomas, yeah, Tomasulo. You know, I, I – I always try to think back to my times and I, and I had different, you know, I had my favorites for sure. Uh, I had a, a guy in 94, his name's Davey Johnson. Mm-hmm. He was the best manager I ever had. And me and him would fight. And it was, we butted heads. He was a second baseman. I was a second baseman. Uh, he was a, you know, he was a veteran manager at one world series with the Mets. I was a young player, you know, and brash and hair on fire. And we butted heads. Looking back 10 years later, I looked, I, I see Davey and I said, Davey, now I understand what you were doing to me in 1994. And he goes, you think I might have known a little bit? He, he pushed my buttons just <laughs> the right way. He's the best manager I ever had. 
you know, I played for the Lou Pinellas and, and uh, Bruce Bochies who are wonderful. Lou Pinella, you know, I've said it, I've said it a million times, my favorite of all time. You can't replace that band. It's just one of those guys. They, they broke the mold when they made them. Interesting for me going, going through all these different uh, managers. How was, how was those coaches? You, you take a little bit from each one of them. Anyone really stand out for you? Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit different in football. We have a lot more interactions actually with our offensive line coach and our offensive coordinator. So those were the ones for me personally that were like more challenging, um, maybe not challenging, but it was like having to deal with a lot of different personalities that are trying to coach you directly to become the best player you could be. And, you know, I was very fortunate with all my guys that I had that they were all different as far as personalities went, but they were really, really knowledgeable and great coaches. Um, you know, the head coaches coming in as a rookie, I knew nothing about the NFL and business structure and how you know the hierarchy of everything is. And all I want to do is impress the head coach and the general manager that drafted me to make sure that they didn't feel like they made a, a mistake. Um, but I didn't have much interaction with Nolan. And then, you know, you're going through the the season, you understand you're not starting well. And then all of a sudden he's fired and then having to go through that coaching change and they had Mike Singletary on staff already. And so he comes in and he ends up winning the, um, you know, the head coaching job after he finished his season with us that 2009 year. And he was completely different. You know, Mike Singletary is a, as a head coach is a lot like how Mike Singletary, the player was yeah, very intense. Um, you know, a lot of speeches, and, um, you know, but he was a good guy, but we just didn't have a lot of success. And I think a lot of that kind of came from just the schematics of everything. Um, felt like we never really found our identity on offense, you know, definitely had some players and stuff on defense, but just couldn't get anything rolling. And I think, um, when Harbaugh came in, he came into a perfect situation after Singletary was fired because we had so much talent on those teams with Singletary. We just couldn't schematically figure it out. And then once Jim came in, he brought an amazing staff of guys around him. Uh, everything just kind of clicked. Uh, but Jim is a um, unique character. You know, Jim Harbaugh is a very unique character. <laughs> yes, he Some is. Some people I... <laughs> either really love him or they, you know, he rubs people the wrong way. And I personally, one of the things I loved about about Coach Harbaugh was that he was himself in every situation. Um, but there was definitely things going on behind the scenes that, you know, as a player, we we're not privy to. And so that's why I think that situation kind of burned out really quickly where I wish it would have, you know, been able to hold legs for a long, longer period of time because we had something real special, not just with Jim, but the players there. And then also just the support staff around it was really, really fun. And then, I mean, as you know, in playing long enough time in a professional sports, you got to go through ebbs and flows. And that was one of our peaks. And then, you know, because of that, it blew everything up and, we had to kind of find a valley again. And, um, you know, so we had Chip Kelly come in and then, you know, Jim or Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly and went one, two with those guys. And, and then, you know, Kyle Shanahan was there, was our last head coach that I played for. And he was, I mean, there that he's, I think my favorite, you know, I don't like to compare people, but you know, he's my favorite coach I've ever had. Just the way that he communicates with everybody, the way he sees the game. Uh, manages personalities just from top to bottom. You know, he just has it. And he, I think it comes from him, you know, growing up with his dad and seeing how his dad was so successful at being a head football coach. And he's just uh, he an awesome guy, awesome coach, 
everything you'd ever want. So it was really fun to finish my career with a coach that I really enjoyed going to work for every day. Baseball beginning of the year, you know, we all, we have our, you know, especially as a hitter, you know, I had numbers, numbers that tell kind of tell the story. If you hit this, you know, 300 is always a, always a, a milestone, uh, 25, 30 home runs, always a milestone. 100 RBIs is always a, a milestone. I was talking to Munoz and Walter Jones, and, and mm-hmm. I asked him this question I want to ask you. How do you judge an offensive lineman? Um, well, for me, always how it's twofold. You know, public perception of what the offensive line is is always going to be related to what they can quantify, and that's running backs, Um you know, quarterbacks, you know, how many, how many times he's under pressure is how many times, um, you know, is he getting sacked? You know, that's what the public always personifies. That's why I think, you know, this site pro football focus is so prevalent now is because they have a grading system for offensive linemen. Um, for me personally, you know, how you grade an offensive line was how well we played together. You know, I think that was one of the most important things to me was, you know, I could do my job right or, or a right guard could do his job right. But, you know, if the left tackle and left guard aren't seeing the same exact picture, if we're not coming across the line doing the exact same thing, then it doesn't really matter how well that right guard does at his job. And so for me, you know, playing just with the San Francisco 49ers, I was fortunate enough to not have to switch too many times who I was playing next to in the group of guys that I was playing with. And that was always very important in our room was, you know, we're judging ourselves by our own standards that we hold in this room. We're the ones that know our blocking assignments. We're the ones that know what we're supposed to be doing. And it's up to us to make sure that we go out and execute that. And we're seeing the exact same picture. So we would spend a ton of time, you know, not only on the field practicing, but in the film room together, watching it um, to make sure that we were out there being a cog in an essential piece to the offense, moving the ball down the field. But at the end of the day, too, I mean, it just comes down to moving a guy from point A to point B. And uh, sometimes you just got to, you know, be aggressive and come off and do it. Toughest pass rushers for you. We're during the where. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's pretty easy. I'm going, yeah, I was going to go Wednesday. You're, you're starting to think about, oh, shit, we got this guy Sunday. Marcus Ware. Okay. Yeah, DeMarcus Ware for, for me. I mean, I went, I went against a lot of guys throughout my career a handful of times. Um, but DeMarcus, I think I had six games in my career against him. And I don't know if I had a clean game one time against him. He just presented so many challenges for me. Like he matched up really well with me. He was fast enough to kind of beat me around the edge where I had to think about his speed. Um, but he was strong enough to, you know, if you got you just thinking about speed, he was strong enough to bully you back to the quarterback. And then he was such a great technician. You know, he had an understanding of leverage and just all the tools. And then he also was an effort guy. You know, he didn't just play when it was third down and he wanted to get the sack for his for his numbers. He played first and second down just as hard as he did on every other down. So Isn't he, was it, guy that, he was a guy that I had the most respect for. Is it amazing? Do you think he knew that too? I mean, for me personally, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think he knew that he had the respect from a lot of people in the league um, just because of the, the the success that he had individually as a player, but then also how he went about his business. Um, but no, I wasn't a guy that told, I wasn't a guy that trash talked, but I wasn't a guy that gave, and it's, I didn't talk much uh, when I was on the field. I didn't want to give anybody an edge. 
Um, so, I mean, I think if I was playing, I didn't want to, you know, because I was going against, I was going to go against DeMarcus Ware in the future. So I didn't want to be sitting there after the game. Be, Man, I have the hardest time blocking you. Right. I, I, I'm just wondering, yeah. though, you know, I, I, the only thing I could probably compare it to is a pitcher. You know, there were guys that definitely we all have our guys that are like, oh, man, I got him on Saturday. He gives me fits. OK, I can't let him know that, but he probably already knows maybe because I'm old for my last 12 against him. Oh, yeah. But I try to, you know, I try to give that, you know, that suave walk to the to from the on deck circle to the box. And I'm not nothing's bothered me. I'm not worried about this guy. And it seemed like I'd lock eyes with him. <laughs> and there's something like he he knows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he knows that I ain't feeling it right now. But uh on the other side of the ledger, guys that I really did well with. And sometimes it wasn't that I loved facing him. I didn't see it that great. It just seemed like I'd always come out of there with two hits. And it was kind of a known thing. Same thing. I'd lock eyes with those guys and they kind of had that look in their eyes like, oh, he's going to get a hit today. He's mm-hmm. going to get two hits today. And it's it's nothing. You know, it doesn't come out verbally. It's just kind of a known thing. That's why I was asking, like, could you feel that he knew you didn't like, you know, you had trouble with him? That that was yeah. kind of more my question. And then you definitely know. Um, and I think, yeah, just like you said, on the flip side, too, is like there's definite games that I went into just being supremely confident, knowing that I was going to put the shutout. And then I was about to, you know, we were about to do something special as an offensive line group. But then there's the games. Yeah, like those ones that I had against DeMarcus Ware. And you watch the film. I mean, everybody watches the film of previous performances they had against the pass rusher or a guy that they're going against um, to try to pick up anything he did really well or didn't, you know, did not do well in I'm sure he turned on the same film and was like, all right, this works last time. I'm going to go against him. Um, he's going to be thinking about that. I mean, it's a, it's a chess mess up chess match out there. So that uh, definitely think that that was going through in his mind as well. Uh, relationship between offensive linemen and the quarterbacks. All we hear about you guys get Rolexes at the end of the year. Um, no, 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 I was never uh, privy to any of that stuff. You know, I might be doing that now, but you know, the guy that actually took care of the lineman the best was Frank Gore. He would always gift a, gift us a watch or some kind of luggage or something nice after the end of the season. But, you know, honestly, if you look at the around the NFL now, it's funny that they still do that because some of the linemen contracts, they're outpacing, you know, a lot of the skill position guys in the NFL and stuff. So there's enough money to go around in the NFL where they don't have to get feel like they're getting preferential treatment. But um, no, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Definitely had great relationships with all the quarterbacks I played with. And I think it just kind of comes from a professional communication. You know, we didn't have to be the greatest of friends off the field, but we spend so much time and we have to be on the same page because for us to do our job well, he has to get us into the right plays. And then, um, you know, vice versa for him to do his job well, he has to feel like he's being protected and that uh, we're all on the same page. So that's a lot where that mutual respect came from. You probably know where I got this, but uh, tell me about going against Justin Smith in team period. Justin Smith and team period. Okay. You want to hear this story? I do. Okay. So. I, I have no, but by the way, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you, so you probably Smith, know where I got the question. No, he's Justin Smith, defensive end, defensive tackle for the Niners forever. He, uh, by far one of the strongest and also best football players I ever played against, but I was going against him every day. Um, from year, my second year in the NFL until when he left in 2014, every day in practice, we'd be banging heads. 
And so we go through training camp, we're getting a little bit older and I'm also, you know, just made my I think second or third pro Bowl at this time. I'm thinking that, you know, I'm one of the better offensive linemen in the NFL as well. And we're getting ready to go out for a, um, a training camp practice. And one of the things I loved about Justin is that he never went through the motions. You know, it was great for me to practice because I believe in the same thing. You don't go throughout the motions or, you know, give practice just as hard as you play, all that stuff. So we're getting ready to go out and Justin never did this, but he was like, Hey, you know, my shoulder is feeling a little tight right now. I'm a little bit sore. Um, let's just go through the motions a little bit. Let's just kind of like, you know, come off and give a good fit and then we'll get back at back at it the next day. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So we get ready for a nine on seven period. And we had just gotten done getting just screamed at by our offensive line coach. I guess we had a bad practice the day before we're getting screamed at. And he's like, you guys need to show me something when this nine on seven period. So nine on seven for anybody too. And that's where a practice period where we're all only doing run plays. And so it's the seven guys on defense and then nine guys on offense. So we're only doing run plays. And so I go out there out of the huddle and I'm like, well, I have this thing I said with Justin that I'm not going to go as hard today, but then my coach is super pissed at me. So screw it. I'm just going to go super hard. And so first play, I come off the ball. I give Justin everything that I have. I mean, I get my first two feet in the ground. I get the great fit. I'm driving my feet as hard as I can. And the ball goes by. And I'm thinking that Justin's about to be really pissed and just be like, dude, what the hell? Like, I thought we had an agreement. Like my shoulders messed up. All he does is that he just grabs my pads. He smacks my stomach and goes, dude, that was perfect. (laughs) Wow. He thought thought that that he thought me coming off the ball as hard as I could was me going through the motions. And I knew in that moment, there's different levels of strength in the NFL. And I wasn't it. (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of giving you the, Hey man, thanks for taking it easy. I'm going to need a little longer. It's really good on my shoulder. That Mm -hmm. is, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, you may, you married a professional athlete, mm-hmm. Carrie, soccer mm-hmm. player. Interesting. Easier or harder? She knows kind of what you're going through. Good days, bad days. What do you think? Oh, it was hundred percent made my life so much easier. Um, you know, it was unbelievable that she knew cause she was a professional soccer player, played four years, you know, played at Notre Dame. Um, so she just knows how the level of commitment that you have to have if you want to be, you know, one of the best at what you do in the league. So she understood that I was going to be, you know, gone a little bit longer and um, was going to, you know, might not have to be able to do all this stuff in the off season because I'm be training and all that stuff. So she just understood the schedule, understood the commitment. And, um, you know, it was definitely a, a great sounding board, too, just when different things were going on with coaches and someone that could kind of understand it from an athletic perspective instead of just a, uh, you know, spouse the whole time. Understands when we're grumpy, mm-hmm. <laughs> why we're grumpy. 100%. Uh, tell me about the Joe show. Oh, Joe show. Let's see. That was uh, something I just started back in early in my career. Um they were kind of YouTube kind of just became kind of like a thing and they were exploring that. And so they wanted to do a TV show and I had a you know personality that was pretty open and fun. And I thought it was a good way because so many athletes get really candid with their answers. They get really candid what they're going to respond. So I thought it was a good way for us to actually show our personalities to the fan base and to everybody out there. 
And um, so they used to just give me a microphone and have me go around. And my whole shtick was just to make people as uncomfortable as possible, ask real sarcastic questions, just kind of have like a comedy hour riff back and forth and get these guys that are, you know, big, bad football players on Sunday to kind of open up. So um, that was a lot of fun. And then we got a new digital team with the Niners and they tried to get me to do it again. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it again. And um, I did one episode and decided I wasn't going to do it anymore because they cut like all the good stuff. And I was like, why'd you guys cut all this stuff? And they're like, well, you guys are, you're kind of mean with the, with the, with your teammates. And I was like, that was the point of the show. Like they're all in on it. They all love it. Like, trust me. Like they want to be on there just as much as I do. It's all just a back and forth. And so it became kind of too, you know, PC. So I was like, all right, I'm out of there. Politically correct. That makes it unfun. Now don't waste my time. We're not going to do it. Joe Staley. I I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. Um, Very cool. What a career. I appreciate awesome, it. Awesome job. And what I do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the Boone podcast, I kick it to back to the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone podcast, neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, B-A-S-S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.